Welcome to Jack Chat presented by the Journal of Athletic Training, the official journal of the National Athletic Trainers Association. I'm Dr. Kara Radzak, an associate professor at the School of Integrated Health Sciences at UNLV and your host. Today, I am joined by Dr. Avinash Chandran, the director of the NCAA Injury Surveillance Program for the Daedalus Center of sports injury, and the NCAA's injury surveillance program's findings are highlighted in this July issue of the Journal of Athletic Training. In addition, I'm joined by Dr. Randy Cohen from the University of Arizona. Dr. Cohen is an athletic trainer and a physical therapist who serves as the Associate Athletic Director of Medical Services for Arizona, and he's been part of the injury data tracking program going back to pen and paper in the 1980s. Avinash and Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yes, great to be here. So first, Avinash, can you give us a little bit of information of how athletic trainers played a role in producing all of these great manuscripts in the July issue? Sure. Um, you know, firstly, I, I'd really say that athletic trainers are uh, the lifeblood of any uh, domestic sports injury surveillance system. Um, the NCAA injury surveillance program is, is no different and has historically been reliant on uh, athletic trainers, um, uh, the tireless efforts of these athletic trainers at institutions nationwide for its success as well. Um, basically, athletic trainers at participating institutions uh, voluntarily uh, contribute data into the injury surveillance program using their uh, clinical EMR systems. So uh, certain elements of, of clinical records are stripped of identifiers and pushed to our internal databases here uh, at the Daedalus Center. And then it's those data that are then cleaned, managed, and, and, and presented in, in such publications. So do all NCAA schools participate? No, it's a good question. Um, no. Um, so the NCAA Injury Surveillance Program relies on what's called a convenient sampling scheme. So not all NCAA member institutions participate every year. Uh, and participation tends to vary from year to year as well. Uh, the system also employs what's called a, a rolling recruitment model. Uh, so schools may enroll at, at different points during the academic year. Uh, participation typically for, for ATs that are uh, currently not participating, it typically involves uh, an added time commitment of about 20 minutes per uh, sports per week. Since, uh, as I was alluding to before, uh, we interact with uh, clinical EMR systems uh, or records that ATs maintain at their uh, local institutions. So the ISP is uh, compatible, uh, having said that, with several um, uh, systems that are currently available on the market. Um, so ATs wishing to, to participate, if they're not currently participating, can, can certainly reach out to us, uh, and we're happy to, to set them up for, um, uh, for submitting data. Now, Randy, you and your sports medicine team have been participating in this. And honestly, how much of a time commitment is it for you? Tell us what's involved in Arizona. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it really kind of depends on your, your currently your EMR that you're using. Um, but even going backwards, you know, throughout the years is honestly, almost all the data they collect as a medical provider, you should be documenting anyway. Um, there's a few fields that you don't routinely collect, you know, such as surface area where the injury occurred or, or temperature or, you know, um, 
And some of those ones that kind of fall a little bit outside of your, you know, your preview of your regular EMR or your medical record, you know, keeping. Um, but actually, you should actually keep those records. And so if you go to the future of what we're going to go to and in, in, in now the capturing of this data in EMRs, it actually isn't that much more more time. It's really, it's basically another handful of extra check boxes right at the beginning when you evaluate to say, oh, yes, what was the surface it was on? You know, what was, you know, what was the time of the day, which you should capture in your EMR anyway. Um, some of those data points that are important to, to, to get this data to be able to make changes. So uh, if you're not doing appropriate documentation, it's probably more work than, uh, than, than <laughs> most people are willing to do. If you're actually uh, documenting like a healthcare professional, like we should, uh, which we now have an NATA standard from a few years ago that we wrote. Um, if you're doing what's in that standard, it, it most of it should be captured in your system. And it's easier check boxes like the systems that they have uh, versus actually writing it inside your note. Thanks for giving that insight. So Avinash, although all the variables that you guys reported are are going to provide valuable information. What are some variables that you recommend readers look at if they're maybe newer to epidemiology data? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to, to provide some context here, the, the purpose of these reports is to describe uh, how and when injuries are happening in, in different NCAA sports. Uh, injury rates are always important pieces of information um, in these reports. Because the injury rate reflects not just um, how many injuries are happening, but, but after accounting for the number of events uh, that athletes are participating in, as well as the number of athletes participating in those events. So there's, there's a bit of a standardization there. So I always uh, find that injury rates uh, in practices and in competitions are important sort of parameters uh, to, to, to uh, focus in on in these reports. Uh, in addition to those, uh, the breakdown of injuries by body part, by general diagnosis, are also, I imagine, going to be of interest uh, to, to readers of this journal in particular. Randy, what are your recommendations for clinicians approaching these manuscripts? You know, the nice thing is, is, is you have to look at how can you um, bring value to the pertinent population that you're currently taking care of to the athletes, the patients that you are, um, you, you, you are currently providing care for. And can you look at the, the historical data and the data that's collaborative and compare it to what you have? And are you doing everything possible to make it your, your area, specifically your, your athletes as safe as possible? So if you can look at data, do you have, are you way outside the extreme on some type of injuries. If you are, then you have to go back and, and do an analysis of what you're doing. Well, what are we doing different? You know, what do we need to change? What are these, what, what, what's, what are the people doing that we're not doing? So if you can take, you take the, the, the data of a, you know, a, a large group and you can look at individually to make your, make your athletes safer um, and, and maybe provide them better care than you currently have. Or you can look at, okay, what are we doing? Wow, we, we have less. Why is that? You know, and sometimes it's just historically where you're at, right? If you're you're in the Midwest, you're you know you know once once you get out of fall camp and football, historically you're not going to have as much heat issues as we have down in the you know and you know down here in the Southwest or in the you know in even in in the Southeast and the South, right? Because it just weathers itself. Um, you're probably going to have more issues with 
cold than you do in the Midwest than we ever will down here in Arizona. So, you know, if you look at things that kind of have factors, you can, you can, you can weigh those out too, but you can also just provide better care if you have data to compare what you're doing specifically, or you have specifically two big, big data pools. So Randy, how has contributing to this data impacted how your sports medicine team looks at their clinical practice? You know, I think by collecting it, you, you even can dive in deeper than what, you know, what the Daedalus Center can look at, you know. So examples I've used on, camp, on our Pacific campus is we've looked at certain injuries in certain sports at certain times a year and then brought that information directly back to, you know, people who can control what the athletes are doing, coaches and strength and conditioning coaches, and said, do you realize that, you know, in, in the last three years, we've had this number of significant time loss, large time loss, time injuries of high ankle sprains by doing certain drills. And the NCAA has done that. So we looked at specifically, you know, the, they, they've changed some, they may change some you know, football standards over the last couple of years. Uh, just just your loan about not having, quote, the Oklahoma drill. Well, part of that data is what we put in there because we had, you know, for two years in a row, we had we had at least two or three significant time loss, high ankle sprains, specifically during that drill, because you're in such a combined space and somebody falls on the spot of someone's ankle. So I was able to take that data, bring it to our coaches and say, you realize these were important people and we lost them for a period of time from this one drill, from this one injury. So they said, well, the head coach goes, well, we're not going to run that drill again. We'll just do it differently. We'll do, we won't have it in the confined space. And we'll, so they can accomplish the same thing, but make it safer for the student athlete. We've done the same thing with teaching them to coach different. We had, you know, we, you see things like, okay, we have, we had concussions in practice during camp, during special teams drills. And then we looked at, okay, looked at each individual case and carve it down. Why did that happen? Well, it happened when people were going different tempos. Somebody was going 75%, somebody else was going 100%. And so when one guy's going half, you know, three-quarters speed and the other one's going full speed, you're high risk. Or one person's, you know, their head wasn't on a swivel when they're running down the field. So then the coaches start, you can give them this information so they can coach differently. They can say, this drill will be this tempo. And if somebody isn't doing that tempo, then they correct that one individual person. So taking the data that you combine, that you actually send on to a bigger entity, but, but then turn around in your own data and carve down even more specifics, because you know the specifics of each one of those, then you can make change again to not only protect individual athletes, but make the game safer. And when you're going to, you can get buy-in of other people, such as coaches, because it's a huge competitive disadvantage if you lose a person for a long period of time or lose them injury at all, so they can't practice. So you bring it forward as, hey, this is, we, we want to make the game safer, but hey, coach, we also want to make you more successful. And with data, you can, you can, you can do that. So, Avinash, what do you feel like the role of this these reports is in moving the current state of research, clinical practice, and even the NCAA forward? Mm -hmm. So, epidemiological studies such as these, as I um, as as we see it, um, based on surveillance data, are, are really meant to provide general context. Um, so, I was I was alluding to this before about describing when and how these injuries are happening. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, the author consortium of, of this issue is hopeful that these findings can point towards, and this is something that Randy touched on as well in his previous response, uh, can, is hopeful that, that these findings can point towards sports 
uh, in a, an event in which injury rates, let's say, are higher perhaps than others, uh, perhaps highlight uh, body parts, uh, again, as Randy was alluding to, um, uh, or, or specific diagnose, uh, diagnoses uh, in certain sports uh, that, that, that appear to be more common. Um, particularly as it relates to to sports in which uh, for which they are caring, um, we hope that clinicians can use this uh, to to provide more um, uh, to, to to sort of augment their clinical care to, to to inform their clinical care. Now, in addition to that, uh, epidemiological studies such as the, uh, such as this um, the this group rather. Um, are meant to, to inform etiological hypotheses as well, or develop, help develop uh, hypotheses as well. So while they can't quite directly test hypotheses, they're meant to inform those hypotheses as well. So we hope that future research as well can can uh, sort of come from uh, the findings of these uh, of these uh, studies. Was there anything in this group of publications that surprised you? Any surprising findings? Is that to me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, you know, as I was alluding to in, in my previous response, the, the the reports were more so oriented towards updating the the descriptive epidemiology, right? So so uh, their descriptive epidemiology is is again more geared towards uh, generating hypotheses and questions than than testing hypotheses. So having said that, our findings were. were broadly in alignment with what we've seen previously in similar reports uh, published in this journal as well. Uh, we've spe similar special issues or series have been previously published in this journal. So our findings were, were, were relatively in alignment uh, with what has been seen sports-specific um, in, in, in similar reports. Um, obviously, there are some fluctuations in injury rates in certain sports uh, when you compare them to previous reports of pre previous time periods. But again, largely in alignment. Perhaps uh, something um, of note, um, you know, we can say that the number of sports in which uh, injury rates were higher in Division Three teams compared to Division One and Two teams were, were notable. But again, as I mentioned, um, the findings were broadly in alignment with what we've seen previously. Thank you. So, Randy, what are you really excited about for the future of your ability to integrate this medical records data and the findings of these big databases into evidence-based practice? Sure, sure. And that's the, the future of medicine. The future of medicine isn't going to be controlled research studies and we look at, oh, we're, we, what, what's the implementation of this? And, and, and you know, it, it really the future of medicine is happening right now. It's happening actually in, in other countries. Um, China primarily, but it's 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 artificial intelligence taking large data pools and and using the using the lar all the large data pools and actually artificial intelligence coming up the questions to ask and then the answers. So we're not even going to do that ourselves. And and so it's it's huge databases looking at every possible factor involved, so we can really figure out what the risks are, what the you know what what you can what you can change. Um, and we're already capturing a lot of this data in sports medicine. We just need to be able to put it all together. So it's the future of, you know, what are your pre-existing conditions? It's a, it's the, it's the, it's what do you find on a pre-participation exam on somebody? What are you doing on movement screens? What are you finding with movement screens? What are you doing with their height and their weight? What are you doing? You, you have, 
you can take wearable data, which a, a lot of athletes are all wearing that now. You put all that wearable data in there together. You put nutrition. What is their nutrition all in there? We have, we're collecting this. We have this in silos all around in sports medicine. What you, the data pool needs to be all, it's going to be all pulled together. Then once you have all that data, you can figure out, you know, what are truly risk factors and the risk factors that are combining together, right? And so if you have all this and, you're, you know, again, you're, you're doing things like GPS data and how much exercise they're doing, what weight training sessions they're doing in the weight room, what, what's, the, what's their gain of strength in certain areas, what's their range of motion changes when they're doing activity, we're doing screenings and force plates. And then you'll be able to figure, you're really going to be able to pinpoint to say with this big data that, you know, even Avinash, who's an incredibly intelligent guy, he can't put all this data together. Nobody can to analyze it. It's impossible. But AI is going to, yeah, yeah. yeah. But artificial intelligence is going to be able to do that. And it can turn around and say, if you have these five risk factors, that's your highest risk factor for a concussion. That's your highest risk factor for you know, you know, overuse syndrome, that's your, your ACL, ACL tears. Those are these, these are the things that you do that you can do. And which one of those variables are actually um, modifiable. And then you can start and then you can look at yeah, other teams have modified these variables already and they've made change, right? Here's a, here's a group of athletes who've had those modifiable changes. They changed their shoe wear. They changed the, you know, they wore a certain brace. They actually worked on this flexibility and they improved their hamstring flexibility by, you know, this percentage. And geez, once they did that, their risk actually went down. And you, the, the big data, it's all going to be big data and it's all going to be data mined. And, and, you know, right now it's happening in China. But the reason why it's happening more in China is because they don't have the, um, they don't have the privacy laws we have in the United States, right? So now the privacy of the individual patient is 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 important, but when you collect big data and you're analyzing it, it's not important because it's not it's it's basically going to be de-identifiable large data pools. And once you have that, you can show changes that are going to be made and how you can implement changes. And that's 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 not the future. That's that can be done, and that is here now. It's just a matter of getting the data in, because as we all know, is your your output's only as good as the data you put in. And that's what we found with the ISS. We've known that for years. And we've 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 made some pretty good changes um, and made some recommendations of changes. You know, we've done we've done some with sports and sporting changes and rule changes and um, with some data. Um, but we haven't, uh, it, it, it hasn't been large data pools. So we, we, you know, so we've made changes, but we, we haven't, we haven't made as, as good a changes as we can if we have more big data. So no, it's exciting. It's exciting times. It's, um, and it's, and, and it's really interesting. It's not, it's not difficult to collect that data anymore. And it, and it's unfortunately in college athletics, unfortunately it's fallen on the, 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 you know, for years and, we talked about this at the beginning is falling on the athletic trainers. Well, it's now it's going to have to be the athletic trainers. It's going to have to be the physician's records. It's going to have to be the nutritionist records. It's going to have to be the strength and conditioning coaches records. It's going to have to be the, the, the coaches programs of what they do. It's going to have to be, it's going to have to be performance people who look at GPS data. All that data needs to be pulled together along with the medical records because, and then you can really make changes to help, uh, you know, make sports safer and really help athletes in the long run. 
If I could uh, respond briefly to that as well, um, I, I think certainly valid points there. Uh, and Randy, you're t- too kind for uh, for your remarks on me as well. Um, have, having said that, I, I just want to touch on the point that uh, you know the, the the scope and the operational um, sort of boundaries of, of the IS, uh, the injury surveillance program in sports injury surveillance in general is is going to be. Um, you know, defined uh, that some of these other elements are perhaps uh, fall under the umbrella of um, broader athlete monitoring or wellness monitoring. But the scope of the injury surveillance program, um, much as with other surveillance programs at other levels, high school surveillance programs are going to be much more so oriented towards uh, medical records, towards reporting and documenting injuries themselves. So that's just a point of clarification as it relates to uh, the ISP and similar programs. Thank you. So as we wrap up our time today, what um, for those clinicians that are looking at this and looking at just the list, say you're a collegiate um, athletic trainer working with ice hockey, Avinash, why should they pick up this issue? Why should they look at this? That's a good question. I think that there's always a a place for routine monitoring, routine appraisal of injuries as they happen in certain populations. As I was sort of mentioning in in some of my previous responses, this is the way for athletic trainers, hopefully we've done a reasonable job of this, but this is a way for athletic trainers to understand what 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 they may be seeing at their local institutions and and juxtaposing them to broader association-wide patterns, uh, broader patterns in other associations, maybe similar divisions. Um, So this is a way for them to contextualize, hopefully, what may be happening in the broader population of interest. Based on that, they can, of course, as I mentioned before, hopefully inform some clinical practice and at the same time be engaged in the research process as well and prompting questions uh, that hope again, hopefully are, are answered with more targeted studies. And Randy, if there's clinical athletic trainers out there that want to dip their toe into utilizing this data, where do you recommend they start? You know, I think they start to they look at, you know, the data from this and compare their own, their own data and, and what's happening with their own athletes. I think that's the most important part because if you can educate people around you of what you're doing is continue is is beneficial. See our our data, you know, our data shows that we have less injury, we have less of these. What are we doing different? And and let's keep that up and let's you know in, in, encourage that to actually promote you know promote the profession. A lot of athletic trainers out are working with other professionals and doing a lot of injury prevention models, right? And they can walk back and say, hey, th- we we need to we hey I need we need to do this not just in my small pocket with soccer, but we may do some of the larger sports of other sports and see because look at our data compared to the the thing. It's it, it, our data shows that we've had less of these injuries than these than, than that's in this data pool. Therefore, that's at least an indication that what we're doing is working. So continue to allow us to have the resources because, you know, it's all about resources. Right. And so if you can if you can expand your resources, you know, um, to 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 help you to help yourself, to help your athletes, you can just start to dig, you know, start to look at what you're at and and, and see if what you're doing is effective or it may not be. You may see that, wow, our injury rates are higher for this. Well, what are we what what, what are we doing different? Let's start to look at that ourselves and see what we can do um, to make our athletes safer. 
Thank you both very much for taking the time to join me today. Greatly appreciate it. And just to remind everybody listening, all of this um, is available free at the at the Journal of Athletic Training's website because all of the Journal of Athletic Training's offerings are open access thanks to the NATA. So again, thank you guys very much for joining me today. Thanks so much to the uh, NATA and JAT for for having us. Um, and thanks above all to to uh, athletic trainers at institutions nationwide for making the uh, making the surveillance program as well as uh, the issue possible. Ultimately, we're 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 all in it with a very similar goal of uh, making sports safer for 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 our student athletes. Great, thanks for having me. And yes, I I back that up 100. percent And thanks for the NCAA for supporting this too, because they've supported it throughout the years as as has the as the NATA. So we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of those two groups. 